Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I am uh, James Gamash. I'm the Director of Quality Improvement with Westbridge, and uh, Mary Woods is um, not able to be part of the show today, so I was asked to uh, facilitate and um, have a conversation today with our special guest, um, Dr. Reef Kareem, and he is... Um, an expert in terms of relational therapy or relationship therapy, an expert around substance abuse and mental health, and um, understanding neuroscience and addiction. And uh, Dr. Reef Karim is um, also just recently released a, an ebook on um, five things you must know about pain medications. So, Dr. Karim, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Great. So. Um, Dr. Kareem, you know, I, I think our listeners are, are really interested in learning a little bit more about why do you think substance abuse treatment um, has such a high recidivism rate, and uh, what are we doing to to create that? Well, I think I, I think for addiction treatment and and even to some degree mental health treatment, we have to pick a lane as far as who is really governing the treatment process? If, mm. if you look at, say, cardiology, if, if somebody has a heart problem, it, you look at pulmonology, if somebody has a, a problem breathing with their, their respiratory system, with their, their lungs, you, what do you generally do? You're like, oh, I can't breathe, or oh, I, I think there's something going on with my heart. You go see the doctor. The doctor will either send you directly to a specialist, a cardiologist or a pulmonologist, uh, and, or, or they'll, they'll see you first and then send you there. Uh, and you end up meeting a gatekeeper, and this gatekeeper is this doctor. And the doctor then says, oh, well, let's do some tests. And there's some tests that they can do. You're on a stress treadmill test. You get an mm-hmm. echocardiogram. You get uh, an ECG. You, you get whatever tests are necessary. Maybe you get medications. Maybe you get lifestyle changes. Maybe you do surgery. Uh, there's all sorts of different things that can happen for you to help you with that disease process uh, when you go to the specialist. Now, if you look at addiction treatment or you look at recovery, it, there's so many different philosophies that there's really no universal theme as to how you get better. It, there's no universal person or, or treatment provider, and there's no universal philosophy. For some people, they go to hardcore 12-step programs, and that's it. For some people, they go to rehabs that are very medication-focused. For mm-hmm. some, they go to yoga-slash-spiritual retreats, and then they work on their, their internal sense of self and spirituality. For some people, they go to primarily group therapy. For some, they go to individual for some, they go to non-12-step. For some, they, I, mean, it, I can just keep going as yeah. long as your show goes on, just saying all these different types of philosophies. And there's no universal method of treatment. I mean, if a cardiologist 
prescribe some crazy medication that, that's not going to do anything for that patient or potentially might do harm, th- there's repercussions. You're, you're going against the standard of practice. And if there is no standard of practice, whether you're a physician or you're not a physician, then you, know, you could do anything. You could do leeches to try to, you know, I'm being extreme, but it, you, mm-hmm. you could do almost anything and call that treatment. And what we do in the field, which I really think is wrong, is we, uh, we tend to blame the client instead of the treatment. We blame the patient. Oh, they just weren't ready. Oh, they, they, you know, it wasn't their time. Oh, they, uh, you know, maybe they'll get it on the next rehab. Oh, they, they relapsed because uh, that's just the way the, the disease works. That's just it. You blame the patient. Nobody ever looks at the treatment center and says, you know what? Maybe that was an ineffective treatment center. Maybe that treatment center didn't really get it right. Maybe they don't have a working philosophy as to how they get people better. And, and because of this, and because nobody's really questioning a model, it, and the funny thing is most treatment centers don't have a treatment model. If you go mm-hmm. to a treatment center and you say, hey, tell me about your treatment model. What's your treatment model? They'll either look at you funny because they have no idea what you're talking about, or they'll be like, well, um, we, we do CBT and we do EMDR, and they'll name off the type of um, clinicians, the, the type of things that the, the, the training of the clinician, you know, mm-hmm. they might have a, tra- a clinician that trained in cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy or, or whatever. And they'll just name that off. But that's not a philosophy. That's not a determining way of getting somebody better. That's not the different phases that somebody goes through in that program. That's not discussing the milestones that you need to achieve to get better in that specific program. That's not looking at the outcomes that, that you have to, you know, that, that you see that treatment center um, providing numerically to show, hey, we do get people better. There's none of that in this field, and, and this is a very long answer, but a very passionate answer to mm. that question. Yeah, I think, you know, Dr. Kareem, you have brought up a lot of really good points, and I think um, in some ways you're, you're absolutely right in terms of the treatment field that understanding and developing a treatment philosophy within a program is crucial to guiding individuals and, and partnering with individuals in the recovery process, right? I mean, it's not like, you know... Um, I have all these clinicians that are licensed in this and this and this, and we do kind of a, you know, an eclectic approach to treatment, but it's more about what is, what is the mission of the organization? What's the philosophy behind it? What's driving the organization to provide support to individuals that need help, right? Yeah, and you have to be innovative, and you have to really know what you're doing. You have to be mm-hmm. visionary. You have to really understand the field from a medical perspective, from a philosophical perspective, from a spiritual perspective, from a psychological perspective. You have to really understand what's going on to be able to create a philosophy, which is why most places don't create one. They don't think of creating one or they don't know how to create one. And, and many centers just rely on the clinicians to do their job in the microcosm of what, of of that entire process, but they don't, Mm. there's nothing that joins them. There's nothing that connects the whole thing. They're not connecting the dots. There's, you go and, and 
they rely on the on the treatment providers to fix, so to speak, the uh, people that come in, and and they hide behind the term we use in we do individual customized care, and. All that means is you're going to come in, we don't have a philosophy, and all of our treatment providers are going to treat you individually, and we're not going to connect the dots. Mm. Wow. And what do you, uh, Dr. Kareem, what do you think um, in terms of treatment providers out in the United States now, what, in terms of relationships, how is the relationship important to the therapeutic process. When you're talking about, you know, treatment programs and understanding the philosophy, I think, you know, at some level, there has to be some form of relationship that's established. I'm not even sure what the question is there because it's all about the relationship. It's, it's yeah. about the expertise of the, of the person. You have to have the ability as a treatment provider to be able to help somebody. You can't just be yeah. some random person on the street. You have to have training and experience and clinical knowledge and all that. But it's all about the relationship. If you have an inability to impart or inject some sense of connection and, and faith from that person, that, that, that client, that patient, towards you and the fact that you can help them, then you, you're, you're not functioning as a, an effective treatment provider. The relationship is everything. And your ability mm-hmm. to connect with that person isn't in the addiction space doesn't just mean, hey, man, I was an addict and I did it and now you can do it because that's really minimizing that person's, that person's symptoms and that person's disease and that person's, that person's life stage because you're not that person and every one of us is different. There, there are some similarities in regards to, our, uh, to what happens to our brain in an yeah. addiction or in a mental health crisis, there's some similarities there, but the overall sense of the person is very different, and that person's connection to their, their spirituality is very different. It's nice to have role modeling, but you need a whole legit, serious, philosophical program to get better. Yes, and that's, that's exactly my point, Dr. Kareem. It, it from from Westbridge's perspective, the relationship is everything, you know, and without the relationship and the opportunity to foster that and develop that and partner with an individual in the recovery journey, everything that we do is uh, a moot point because of trust, right? And because of, you know, th- if I don't trust somebody and what they're saying, am, am I really going to you know, internalize what they're, what they're saying and, and make a decision on what they're saying, you know? And I think that's, that's really important, and I'm glad you emphasized that, that the relationship, you're absolutely right, is everything, right? Yeah, but it's, it's more than that. It's, a, it's about yeah. the person initially. When somebody comes into treatment, mm-hmm. like it or not for them, they're in an incredibly vulnerable state. They'll put up defenses against that potentially uh, because nobody wants to feel like they're completely vulnerable when they come in somewhere. And, and yes, it's about the relationship, but it's also about empowering that person by the time they leave treatment or in their aftercare program to develop a better relationship with themselves 
to feel better about who they are, to develop confidence, to develop self-worth, to develop a sense of, of ability, and to develop a sense of, of worthiness that, 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 and worthfulness, that, that they're worthy of living a life that's, that's sober and that's clean. All of those things are incredibly important factors. And what we see sometimes in treatment is the treatment center focuses so much on the relationship Mm-hmm. Not necessarily on the credibility uh, or the ability of of the treatment providers to help that person, just the focus on a relationship that that person doesn't get better. And sometimes what treatment centers will do is they will focus on that relationship, making that person codependent on the treatment center and on those individuals. And guess what happens? The combination or the recipe here is, You make somebody feel comfortable. You make them codependent on you and your treatment center. You don't get them better because you don't have the ability, the skills, the knowledge, uh, and and the training to help them get better. And what do they do? They relapse. And where do they come back to when they relapse? Where they feel comfortable. So it's a continuous cycle of how some, the business model of some of these treatment centers is make somebody feel really, really comfortable either by giving them spa-like amenities or by really giving them whatever they want and making them feel very comfortable in that center so that they keep coming back even though they don't get better. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break and um, come back with our guest speaker, Dr. Reef Karim. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of return to peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually, as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. 
listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Well, welcome back, everyone. I am. Um, I'm. We're back with Dr. Reef Kareem, um, and uh, Dr. Kareem, what? How do you see, um, or how has the opioid epidemic developed in terms of your perspective? And what's the future with cannabis and designer drugs? I mean, where do you see that going in the next five, ten years? Well, those are two very, very big questions. So, so let's focus on one at a time here. Okay. With, with the opioid, with the opioid crisis or the opioid crisis, you know, we, the, the addiction doctors I know and the, the mental health doctors I know, uh, we've been talking about this for 15, 20 years. This isn't new. Uh, but it's getting worse, obviously. And one of the reasons mm. that it's getting so much press is, is the, Overdoses that have happened, uh, let's say, the last five years or so, the, the increase in overdoses is, is substantial. And, of course, you know, celebrities that have passed as well um, adds to the, the whole thing. Now, the crisis really is a combination of, of multiple things. First off, in the, in the 90s, uh, many physicians were told, you know, treat pain as a, a symptom. Pain is just as much of a symptom as anything else. You could have high blood pressure. That's a symptom. You could have high glucose that's uh, uh, in your body. That's a symptom. Pain is, pain is a symptom, and you have to treat the pain just like you would anything else. And when you treat pain, you treat it with a pain reliever. And, you know, anybody who's been in pain, any of your listeners that have been in pain, if you're in significant pain, whether you had uh, a tooth extraction or an injury, a broken bone, you're in pain. That hurts. And, and when it hurts, you want pain relief. And if somebody were to say, okay, I can give you this non-pain, non-opiate medication, it might help a little bit, and it's going to take a little while to work, and you might have to suffer in that pain for a while before it starts to kick in. Or I can give you this. And it's an opiate medication. It'll work pretty quickly, and it's really going to help your pain, and you're not going to really feel anything for a while. Most people are going to take the latter. And when the doctors are doling out those pain medications, and they're doing it at pretty decent rates, um, and they're being told, hey, pain is a symptom. You need to be treating this. Uh, you start getting more and more people getting attached to these pain medications. And in medical school, most of us, did not get any kind of uh, any kind of clinical training in addiction or how you talk to a patient or a client about addictive medications. And as we know, anybody who's been to a doctor's office, like an internist or a family practice doc, they're super busy and they have a lot of patients that they're seeing. And a lot of them just don't have the time or the inclination or the training to talk to their, their patients about, okay, I'm going to give you this medication. It has addictive potential. Now, what that means is dot, 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 dot. They don't do that. 
but they're not trained to do that. And so what ends up happening is people are taking these medications, not realizing they're addictive, and they're starting to get addicted physiologically and potentially psychologically to these medications. Where it became a big epidemic is not just in the numbers, but also in the pharmaceutical advertising, the aggressive advertising of medications, where instead of going through the doctors as gatekeepers, they went direct to consumer marketing uh, where they started doing all these advertisements online and on commercials. And we've all seen the cheesy commercials that, that are there. Yes. Uh, but also what's happened is fentanyl has been uh, substituted in many of these compounds that uh, are, are on the street. And so when somebody thinks they're taking a certain opiate or maybe they're already hooked on opiates and they're just taking what they would normally take, when the pill or however they're taking that substance is laced with fentanyl, which black market, you know, there's black market Mexican uh, distributors, there's all sorts Mm. of other distributors that are bringing in these compounds into the U.S., people are ODing on the fentanyl because it's potentially 50 times stronger than a traditional morphine, a traditional um, opiate uh, medication. And they're ODing because they think they're taking the regular supply and they're not. And, of course, that's contributed to the crisis. So now, finally, from a political perspective, our, our politicians are addressing the fact that, hey, we need to make some changes and we need to redistribute uh, financial means towards research and towards investigation into what we can do to, uh, to stop or minimize this opiate crisis. Wow. Yes. And I think, um, you know, New Hampshire is one of the states that's been impacted significantly around the um, opioid epidemic. And um, I think you're absolutely right that the, um, the fentanyl and the presence of fentanyl has um, caused a significant amount of overdoses and, and, what do you see in terms of the trajectory of this, Dr. Kareem? I mean, what do, where do you see, what, is, what's, what are your thoughts around the solution? Um, what do we need to do as um, treatment providers or as, um, you know, advocating um, to our politicians? I mean, what do you think um, we need to do in order to address this from a more comprehensive perspective? Well, we need to tackle all sides of this. And, uh, you know, on one side of it, you've seen, I don't know how much your listeners know about this, but states, some states and some cities are suing the pharmaceutical companies over either false advertising or fraud or uh, manipulation of, you know, of, in regards to their, uh, their marketing uh, Mm-hmm. And, and and their their culpability towards uh, towards this this crisis that we have, and uh, I think that's a piece of it because maybe what'll happen is they'll stop at some level the the uh, the intensity of the direct to consumer marketing. So I think that's mm-hmm. that's one piece of it is the pharma piece. Now you've got the doctor piece. Doctors need to be educated. Med students. Uh, need to be taught about uh, addiction medicine. We need to regulate these medications, which the CDC is trying to do. They came out with a report, and they came out with some prescribing guidelines, and uh, and hopefully that will work uh, in in regards to this. We need more research on um, to and more dollars for for advertising about what people can do to be 
a more informed consumer regarding these medications. Um, we need more Narcan, the antidote mm-hmm. towards uh, having opiates in your system that can potentially decrease your respiratory drive. So there needs to be more Narcan out there. Uh, just as much as that, anywhere you see a defibrillator, you should be seeing Narcan. There should be Narcan mm-hmm. in people's homes. Um, you know, they have, a, they have an inhaler. You know, people should be using that and understanding how it works. You know, and the National Institute of Drug Abuse, I read an article um, from them a while back. It was in the New England Journal of Medicine, and then they had a follow-up article looking at uh, biased agonists. And I'm not going to get too medical here, but, you know, we have, we have these pure opioids. Uh, opioid or opiate um, agonists, which are just, you know, the, the opioid medications. Then we have these partial agonists like buprenorphine, suboxone, and then we have these biased agonists. Um, these are compounds that produce pain relief via the mu opioid receptor, but without the rewarding and respiratory depression effects that are there with current opioid medications. So, so that's interesting. And then also these completely non-opioid pain relief uh, medications, which, you know, we, some of them are procedures and some of them are, um, are a little controversial in some ways. There's cannabinoids, there's sodium channel blockers, there's gene therapies, there's, uh, there's also procedures like transcranial magnetic stimulation, uh, electrical brain stimulation, and then there's you know, there's, there's different uh, pain management techniques that people are using, uh, physicians are using. So there's, there's a lot of potential things that can be done. Uh, they, they require money. They require advertising. They require a shift in thinking and a shift in philosophy. Mm. And what are your thoughts in terms of the, the future of cannabis and designer drugs? I mean, we're seeing more and more states legalizing cannabis and marijuana. Where do you see this going over the next three to five years? And, um, and are you concerned about that? Well, yeah, when I look at risk-benefit in regards to cannabis, um, I definitely see risk. The, the risk is in uh, the, de- the developmental brain. Uh, the risk is in, you know, potential for a motivational syndrome. The, there's definitely risk in higher-level THC compounds. Uh, I definitely have seen psychosis due to cannabis. Uh, I've definitely seen uh, a reversal in uh, making anxiety worse and having rebound anxiety associated with cannabis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anybody who's got... (coughs) Excuse me. Anybody who's got a potentially vulnerable brain might uh, have more problems uh, due to cannabis. But when you look at the, the risk-benefit, and when I say benefit, I mean the, the medical benefits of cannabis. I think the medical benefits of cannabis are significant. And I'm, I'm in favor of potential legalization with some caveats, um, with, with some regulations, obviously. Hmm. But especially in regards to research, I, I think, uh, look, what, what, what are our three, if you, if you look at the prescription pain pill issue, because this opiate thing is not the opiate crisis, really stemmed from the prescription drug epidemic. 
and the prescription drug epidemic was about stimulants, sedative hypnotics, and narcotic analgesics, um, opiates. And if you look at that, what are the things that people tend to abuse the most? They abuse drugs for sleep, they abuse drugs for anxiety, and they abuse drugs for pain. What does cannabis treat? Cannabis can treat pain, cannabis can treat anxiety, and cannabis can treat sleep. So Hmm. if done correctly, um, from a medical perspective, and I mean done correctly, I mean with right, you know, with regulatory, a uh, regulatory process, not just this yep. recreational free-for-all, I think the use of cannabinoids can be very effective in regards to cutting down the prescription drug problem. Wow. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break um, and come back in a few minutes when, with our guest speaker, Dr. Reef Kareem. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Sometimes it just seems that nobody understands. There's one individual who can help. If you're living with somebody who faces challenges such as autism, Asperger's, or other exceptional needs, you'll want to tune into Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Together, we'll uncover a variety of solutions to the challenges faced by individuals, their families, and teachers. Listen live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Well, welcome back, everyone, um, and our guest speaker today is Dr. Reef Kareem, and uh, Dr. Kareem is going to be presenting at the um, uh, National Conference on Addiction Disorders in August in Baltimore, 
and he's going to be a keynote speaker there. And uh, Dr. Green, can you tell our listeners what you're doing, what you're currently doing in the field now? Yeah, sure. Uh, outside of the is the speaking world, which is you know one, one of the things uh, I'm doing. Where uh, the next, I think the next talk is the NCAD talk. I've been working, you know, I've worked in all elements uh, of this of this field. I, I've been a, uh, you know, I'm double bordered in psychiatry and addiction, so I've seen the connection between mental health and addiction. Uh, I've I've published research jur- uh, papers in, in prestigious journals. I've had the opportunity to work in the policy space. Uh, I've been the medical director of some very big rehabs. I started my own treatment center. Uh, to work on blending uh, spirituality and philosophy with with cognitive science, with psychology, with neuroscience, with with a number of other things, and and I've had the opportunity to to really look at the field on on all levels, and it's it's frustrating. Our field is very frustrating because more and more people are are suffering from some type of addictive problem, whether it's a chemical addiction or a behavioral addiction or a dual diagnosis, uh, something, uh, even a digital, potential digital addiction. Yet, we still don't have a really strong philosophy, content, base, uh, a, a place to discuss things. It, it, it's, it's like we, we, we're... We're running around with our heads cut off trying to figure out the best way to help all these people without really having a universal platform. And, and it, it, it's really frustrating. So I, I, and, and because addiction is a young person's disease, it, it really starts, starts in the teens or the, for some people even younger than that, and for some people in their 20s. Uh, but it starts young usually. And I decided to really focus on being more of a, uh, let's say, a thought leader or influencer in, uh, in, in disseminating information to people. And it, it can be different age groups and different demographics. So some of that involves speaking. Some of that involves um, writing and writing writing really the best way to treat people. What, what, is a, what is a way of really understanding addiction? So I'm writing a, an addiction, um, like a, almost like a manual, um, and I'm doing videos uh, for that manual and, uh, a, you know, the literary handbook aspect of it. Uh, then I've got a podcast that we're starting. It's like a modern-day love line, uh, if you remember love line from back in the day. And... Yeah. Uh, we're working on a talk show as well to, to cater to a slightly younger audience because these topics need to be discussed. Uh, the, the topics of sex and dating and drugs and relationships and uh, recovery and mental health and, and personal development. How do people get better? Whether you're an addict or you're not an addict, you're living in a world where there's a lot of influences uh, in regards to digital, uh, digital connection. And how do people navigate in the world, you know, where people are claiming to be more lonely than before. A lot of people are more anxious than, than previous years. Uh, A lot of people are overwhelmed. They're, they're overstimulated. There's, there's a lot of people in distress right now. And, 
to be able to to provide them some some uh, method of relief through information is important to me, and so I'm going uh, all out in that in that regard. Instead of treating people one at a time, I'm going to focus more on the big picture. I see. And could you speak a little bit in terms of you know what your presentation topic is going to be at NCAD and um, what you're going to be um, speaking about? Yeah, I mean, some of it will be some of the material we're talking about, but I, you know, I really want to shake up the system. I feel mm-hmm. like uh, we can't rely, we need to focus on innovation, and we need to focus on better ways of helping people. And that's really what my talk is about. It's called Beyond Recovery, and, and it's, you know, we need to think beyond what we're currently doing. And uh, I hope to be able to, shake people up a little bit, wake them up, and, uh, and give them some information. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, Dr. Kareem, you know, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, the, in terms of the manual that you were talking about and the, the videos and really kind of um, providing innovation in the treatment field? What, could you give some examples of, of things that you're going to be incorporating in this? Sure. You know, when, when we look at addiction treatment, and you can't just look at it as what you know as, as, as a person if you've been trained in one specific format. So let's say you're somebody with a cognitive behavioral therapy background, or you're a family member and you just understand what it's like to deal with your loved one, you need to learn, whether you're a therapist or you're a family member or you're a patient, you need to learn as much as you possibly can about addiction. You need to understand detox. You need to understand how does hospital-based care work? What happens in a residential facility? How do you know you're better coming out of a residential facility? What are outcome measures you should know? What, when do you go to intensive outpatient? What, what should you be doing in intensive outpatient? What is the process of going from phase one to phase four in regards to, uh, to addiction treatment? What is the connection between psychological medicine and addiction medicine? Do the medications work? And if so, who do they work best for? What Mm -hmm. is the philosophy behind addiction? How is spirituality connected to addiction treatment? Um, How does the family, what is the family's involvement and what should the family's involvement be? Now, I'm a big, obviously, anyone who knows anything about addiction knows how important the family is in regards to treatment. But, you know, one of the things that I ask treatment centers is I don't ask, do you have a family program? They they should all have family programs. I mean, it's crazy if some doesn't have a family program. That's not the question to ask them. The question is how, how do you incorporate the family in your program? Because I'll tell you, if you incorporate the family too early, you're going to potentially make the patient worse. If you incorporate the family too late, you're going to potentially miss the boat on the vulnerable period that that person was in where you could have really incorporated the family. If you don't handle the family correctly, you can make it worse. If you handle, you know, you, it, it, it's very savvy and sophisticated in regards to how you incorporate the family and what you do with them. So, yeah, you know, there's just so many things that I think people gloss over 
that are really important. And, and there's great, great experts out there that know a lot. You know, I, I feel like I know a fair amount based on my knowledge base and, you know, my clinical experience. But mm-hmm. I'm, by no means am I the only one. There's some really good people out there. And so I'm going out of my way to interview uh, all of and as many of the key experts out there that, uh, you know, almost in a Larry King format where I'm interviewing them about what they know about the field and how they can help people. You know, I recently did an interview with Gabor Mate, and, and I'm starting to interview many, many more key seminal leaders in our field. Wow, that's awesome. That's really good to hear because I think our field needs it. You know, our field needs to be shaken up a little bit to to incorporate some of these things because I think you're right. You know, the, the if you incorporate the family too early, you know, then it can be significantly dramatic, you know, could have an impact on the individual that you're working with. Um, but incorporating the family is really important to the overall treatment process because, Addiction not only affects the individual, but the family as well. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Uh, Kareem, what, um, can you talk a little bit about, because you have a treatment program, correct, and it's called the Controlled Center? Can you talk a little yeah. bit about what, what that is like and, you know, what services you offer there and um, what populations you work with? Yeah, I, I had worked as the, um, yeah, I'm on faculty at UCLA. Uh, I teach medical students and residents. I've done some research there. And uh, I had the opportunity to work as a medical director at a rehab in Malibu that was initially going to be connected with UCLA. And so I, I kind of got a sense of how, let's call it rehab medicine, but residential treatment was, uh, was practiced. I saw the good and the bad. And I, I decided to leave there and work as a director at uh, a, a bigger center in Laurel Canyon out here. In, I live in California. And uh, I saw the good and the bad there. And I saw how most therapy was done in groups, not individual sessions. I saw how psychological medicine was often undervalued and not appreciated as much as it should be because there, it's very intertwined with addiction. I saw how just because you have a big Buddha statue in your living room and a bunch of incense uh, doesn't mean that you have a spiritual program. Uh, I saw the lack of, uh, of real spiritual healing. And I saw a lot of people being catered to um, with certain amenities. Now, there were some people that did some decent work at, at these centers, but you know, I saw a lot of things I didn't like. And, and it's not that it was really bad, bad care. It was just that it wasn't as effective as it could be. So I said, I'm going to open up a program and I'm going to do it on an outpatient basis because this was 2010 because uh, I feel like that's the direction that everything is heading and it turns out it was heading that way because now we see IOPs yeah. everywhere. Uh, but in, in 2010, I said, what I really want to do is make sure that it's an outpatient program that's better than an inpatient program. We, we, we won't be able to contain the client at night. We won't be able to watch them unless we put them in a sober living. But the amount of therapy and the type of therapy that they'll get will far exceed residential centers and outpatient centers. And they will have PhD level, um, medical doctor level, and MFT level therapists. Pretty much everyone will be licensed. And there will be an overarching philosophy 
in regards to the treatment program, where people come in at phase one, they move to phase two, they move to phase three, and then they're discharged after they reach phase four, that we also have outcomes measures that we're going to be looking at. Um, the outcomes will be internal initially, not necessarily from marketing, which I know is why a lot of people do it, but to make our program better, uh, we can look at what's working and what's not working. And there'll be a big component um, and shift on personal development, not just reducing symptoms, but on making that person, uh, as we said in the beginning of this of this. Mm-hmm. Um, of this interview, making them have a better relationship with themselves through self-expression and sense of purpose and um, stress management and a number of other things, spiritual growth. And uh, that's really important to me. And uh, I, I feel like we're able to do that in our program. And we've had some really good outcomes. You know, we're, we're small. We're not a big, big program. But we've had some good outcomes. And, um, you know, you can't help everybody. But the goal is to be able to help as many people as you can. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then come back to our guest speaker today, uh, Dr. Reef Kareem. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune into Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time.
All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, again, we have our, our guest speaker today, uh, Dr. Reef Kareem. And uh, Dr. Kareem, could you talk a little bit about um, the show that you have called Reef Madness? Yeah, I, uh, you know, working in this business, you see a lot of dark stuff. And, uh, you know, people that, that try to hurt themselves, people that have overdosed, people that are in a really dark place. And when you're doing, when you're doing medical work and therapy, and I, I think any of your listeners that are family members or, uh, or clinicians themselves, I'm sure can attest to this to some degree, you know, people people are sick and, and they're in a dark place and they're, they're projecting some of that onto you in the session and they're asking you to hold or contain them and, 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 and you know, emotionally. And you have to sit with that dark stuff. So when you have, say, 20 patients in a day and you're holding on to all of that darkness, uh, it starts to affect you. Mm. And you may... You may come home with it and your it may affect your relationships with your spouse or your family or you might be uh, more isolative or you might get more angry or anxious or but it's going to affect you in some way so for me I, I've tried different outlets and I tried the outlet of um, working out a lot uh, sports dance is an outlet for me I, I really enjoy you know, the salsa and swing dancing and some other stuff. But an outlet that I found really helpful was I started doing stand-up comedy and improv and really enjoyed it. And I just talk, most of what I talk about is just kind of my own life of growing up the way that I did. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole, all the details of it, but, uh, but it was a you know, pretty intense Indian environment that I grew up in <clears throat> where I was more or less predetermined to be a doctor before I was born. So it, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of kind of really interesting ways of self-expression through the use of comedy. And you can really disarm people and develop, as, as we talked about in the beginning, more of a relationship and more of a connection with somebody by, by being able to laugh at the same stuff. And uh, it became uh, an outlet for me. And I, just, I started to use more comedy and lightheartedness when I would talk to clients, it, I wouldn't take things not seriously, but what I would do is talk about kind of the state we're in um, or, or how, how hard what we're doing that kind of work is by utilizing a little lightheartedness. And it really connected me better to some of the clients that we work with. They didn't see me as this stiff doctor. They saw me more as a real person. And that continued on and on and on to the point where I, I'm working on this talk show. This, and it's initially an online show. It's called Reef Madness. Uh, and it's uh, obviously me being a psychiatrist and the word madness. And uh, Reefer Madness was an interesting movie back in the day. And my name is Reef, so it just tends to work. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, 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 a, it's a show about human behavior. And it's shot like a late-night show, uh, like a John Oliver or a John Stewart. And it's all about what we talk about drugs and recovery and relationships and dating and sex and why people do what they do and why people act the way that they do. And it's written in a way that it's serious at times and it's comedic at other times, but nonetheless, you're always learning something. And I find it a great and effective tool to be able to convey information to people because 
people get bored when doctors talk. That you know, it, when when somebody that's an expert is talking, it, it gets boring sometimes. But if you can make it entertaining and fun, but yet you're still giving real information that's valuable, that's all the better. Yeah. And um, are there particular topics? I mean, other than I mean, are, are there things that you're thinking of in terms of incorporating in um, this talk show um, for future? Uh, episodes and um, or um, things like other than you know sex and um, things like that. Are there other topics that you're thinking of? Yeah, I mean we have uh, the topics are unlimited. I mean we, there's there's mm-hmm. so many different topics. You know, we if if your listeners um, go to YouTube and type in Reef Madness or you go to reefmadnessshow, S-H-O-W dot com, you can see some of the stuff that we've done. We've put out a couple of episodes already. Uh, But, you know, the the first one we did on the business of recovery and and the corruption and some of the corruption, I think, and, and, and some of the the, the lack of outcomes and the be- a better way to do treatment. Uh, the second episode was on, uh, was on weed. I think it was called Weed Nation. And it's, uh, it's about what's, what's going to happen when cannabis is fully legalized uh, and how will, that affect, how will that affect us and what changes mm-hmm. may come in the future. Uh, we did one on exercise versus antidepressants. And uh, studies showing that uh, how important exercise is for your emotional health and your mental health, not just your physical health. We've done some on uh, relationships. We've had episodes on the differences between men and women's brains. We've had some cool stuff. And we've brought on some good guests. We've had Eric Roberts on the show. We've had the former assistant drug czar of the Clinton-Bush administration. We've had the head of uh, Normal in Sacramento, California, which is the, the cannabis uh, advocacy organization to try to legalize it, um, to try to legalize it in California. We've mm-hmm. had all sorts of different guests that have written books and done all sorts of stuff. So it's, uh, it's cool. It's a really cool show. I think it's got great potential in the future, and I'm going to slowly start concentrating on it more to uh, get it more attention. And I think that's, um, you know, this show I think is going to, um, even just the topics that you've just shared, really kind of hit to the heart of a lot of different things. And, um, you know, the business of recovery, especially given, you know, the, the state of addiction recovery and, you know, um, South Florida being one where it's, um, you know, there's the ethics and the importance of, you know, we're here for a reason, and that's to support individuals in their recovery and help people get well. Um, so I think these are all really great topics, and, and I look forward to listening to these shows um, in the future, and um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are as well, because, I did, again, these topics are um, they're, they're balanced, but I think they're also, you're hitting the, the nail on the head, that these are really important things that people need to talk about, you know, and, um, and provide information to our listeners as well. So that's great. Well, thank you. Yeah. And if anybody wants to check it out, just, uh, just look it up on YouTube. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being a guest on our show. Uh, Dr. Kareem, I, it was a pleasure and an honor to have the opportunity to interview you. And I look forward to seeing you at the NCAD conference in August. 
in Baltimore and um, look forward to your future work in the field um, because we need it. Well, th- thanks for having me and thank you for doing what you're doing because uh, obviously your show is uh, it's a vehicle for people to, uh, to convey information that's really important. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Kareem. And, and again, I wish you well in your future endeavors. And uh, again, thank you for being a part of our show. No problem. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.